Jesus, your name is power, breath, and living water. Such a marvelous mystery. Yes, that is so rich. That, that verse is, that verse in that song is so rich. Uh, and so much could be said about that. Suffice it to say, Jesus is a marvelous mystery. Breath and living water. Well, good morning, good morning again. Some of you are probably thinking, we got to hear from him again? <laughs> Didn't he just give us what he said he was going to pray? He preached the message right before he prayed. <laughs> I got a lot to say. A lot to get out. Look, again, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers um, who are with us and, and are no longer with us and those who stood in the gap. And good morning, Solid Word friends and family. We are excited to, uh, to have you worshiping with us this morning and, uh, and on this day. And not just because, oh, you know, it's Father's Day, but because uh, anytime the people of God come together to hear the word of God, uh, we should be excited. Right? To hear what the Lord uh, has to say. If you can kind of imagine, it, it, just, we, it, it happens every week, so it's so common to us. But back in, in the old Bible days, right, when, uh, the, you know, we, we flip, we'd be like, well, you know, we're going to be in Thessalonians today, 2 Thessalonians, and you'd be in Corinthians, and we just flip there. It's no big deal. But back in those days, somebody would have been running over the hill with a letter, a letter from Paul. We've got a letter. Everybody, stop with you. People would have been dropping things. They'd have been, babies might have been dropped. I don't know what was going on. But folks would have been coming. They would have gathered all together to hear, to hear what Paul was going to share with them. And look, you, you know, in our kind of our days, we'd be like, oh, did you read that? Yeah, I read it. Man, they would have read it over and over and over and over again because they were so hungry to hear from the apostle, right, the man of God who established many of these churches, who was charged with evangelizing and teaching and raising up these pastors and these ministers at all these churches. They were so eager to hear from them, to hear from him that they were excited anytime those letters would be read. Now for us, right, glory, hallelujah, right, we can carry those with us. We have them with us at our disposal, whether it's in paper or on our device, we can scroll through it. You can click a couple of times and you can be there. You can even have somebody that you've never met with a British accent read it to you. <laughs> I don't think Paul had a British accent, but it helps with the effect, right? But because it is so available and so common, sometimes we take it for granted, right? And so the idea is now, right? Praise and worship, we come together, we want to get our minds right for this time, not because of who's standing here, but because of what the person standing here is about to share, right? It's coming from the Bible, it's coming from God's word, and so we are excited to hear. I'm excited to hear what God is going to say and going to do with his word. Uh, as I always do, I want to thank my wife, Karen. She sits right there in that seat, that way I can always just, you know... <laughs> Get that strength if I need it. I can always just be like, hey, if she's smiling, y'all can be booing. It don't matter. It don't matter. As long as my baby's in my corner, that's all right. And even if she's pretending, just wait till we get home. Tell me when we get home. Yeah. All right. And then to my daughters, right? The reason that I am even a part of this celebration today, Jayla and Hannah, 
my sweet, sweet little girls who are not little anymore. Well, look, let's just uh, do a, a real quick word of prayer. This will not take long just to get us into the right frame of mind, and then we're going to get into uh, the scripture and the lesson aim. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship service up to this point. We thank you for the experience that we've had in prayer and in praise of your name. But now, God, we want to hear expressly from you. So settle our hearts, settle our minds, push out anything that would drown out your voice. Speak to us where we are. Bring conviction where conviction is necessary. Bring encouragement where encouragement is necessary, God. Bring strength where strength is needed. And ultimately do through your word what only you can do, and that is make sure that it does not return to you void but that it accomplishes all that you set it forth to accomplish. God, finally, set me down. As I said before, I don't need your help in preaching this. I need you to preach this. So don't let me say anything that's not from you. Do not let me leave out anything that you intended for your people to hear this morning. We are excited to hear from you our Heavenly Father, the God of all creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. So um, if you look in your bulletin, I know we usually will stand and kind of read the scripture together, but it is one sentence. um, And and then the context that I have, you guys don't have. So I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I am going to read to you kind of the full context of where I'm going to be preaching from. And it's going to be from 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 11 through 13. So you've got 13 in, the, in your bulletin, but I'm going to go ahead and pick up verse 11 as well. And this is where you'll find it says, and this is the New American Standard Version of the Bible that I'm reading from. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Some of your um, translations may say idle or are living in idleness doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Verse 12, now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Hmm. The lesson aimed for today is fathers who are trying to raise their children in a manner pleasing to God, that is, consistent with biblical principles, would hopefully not become discouraged, right? But would be encouraged knowing that their efforts will produce a a harvest in due time. And if you're looking for kind of a title for this, it is simply, Fathers Don't Faint. Fathers Don't Faint. I've got two stories to tell you real quickly, and I'm going to try to move through them fairly quickly, and they are about my daughters, right? And it's appropriate because I wouldn't be a father if it wasn't for them. Uh, and so uh, the first one is my youngest. I'll start with the youngest first. So when we were... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's all funny to me, too. When we were young, when they were younger, I guess we were younger, too, Karen, but when we all were younger in Memphis, you know, they were about one, two, three, you know, kind of toddler age, <laughs> we heard Hannah in the front room, just all kinds of commotion, all kinds of commotion, all kinds of commotion. And came out there, she had lined up her stuffed animals on the couch, and she had a little podium, this little step stool that she was standing on, 
And she was just, oh, man, she was going at him, yelling at him, screaming at him, going at him, talking to him. You know, some of it was intelligible. Some of it was just toddler speak. And, you know, we're like, what is she doing? And then she, she uttered this. She said, that's right. That's what church is all about, <laughs> saying amen and screaming. That's what she said, right? <laughs> so that's, 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 I'm entering that into the, uh, into the evidence, right, exhibit one. The second one is my oldest daughter, and my mother was visiting for, uh, with us, and I don't remember exactly the, the right context, but she said something to the effect of, thank you, Jesus, or in the name of Jesus, or something like that. And my daughter turns to my mother and says, Jesus, who's that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, right, with these two examples, from a parental standpoint, oh my goodness, I've got one child who thinks church is about yelling, amen, screaming, and saying amen, and another child who don't even know Jesus. Who's that? Right? And these are, you know, these are children of the preacher, right? What is going on here? And look, it's, it's, it's lighthearted. It's meant to be. It's funny. They were little. They were young. But it, 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 it kind of sparks something. I think it touches a thread in, in fathers, right? Because it makes you say, when you, when you see your children do things, say things, think things that don't necessarily line up with what it is you've been trying to teach them, it does make you say, man, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I communicating the truth of God's word in a way that, such that it takes hold in their hearts and in their minds? Should I be doing more? Should I be doing less? <laughs> and that's just the internal conversation that you're having. Then externally, right, you, you've got these pressures that are coming, right? Because the things, these things that I'm wondering, wait, should I be doing more of, less of? Am I teaching the right things? A lot of these things that I am trying to teach uh, as being right and as being true according to the word of God, the world is labeling as being false. The world is saying uh, that if you believe these things, or if you teach these things, or if you say these things, then um, you are intolerant, or the things in the Bible are just stories. They're just kind of giving you some, some general guidelines to live by, but it's not really practical. People don't think like that anymore. You, 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 can't, you, you can't get away with kind of living like that anymore. This is a modern time, modern day, and we think differently than they did back then. Hmm. And so think about this, right? As, as an individual, and I'm, I'm making it very personal to fathers, as a father, right? And against the onslaught of kind of this external pop culture, music, television, celebrities, news, everything, washing against saying that what you're trying to instill in your children isn't right, couple that with the internal doubts and questions that I have already because hmm, in some of these cases, I'm just getting my hands around some of it, then it's no uh, surprise, right, that we might grow weary in doing the good that a godly father should do. Now, let me, let me just go ahead and Put a disclaimer here. This sermon is not an exhaustive examination of the biblical role of fatherhood. We, we are not, you're not going to be like, well, Charles, you left out taking the garbage out. No, this isn't, I'm not about to list down a whole list of what a father should and shouldn't be and do. But more personally, Paul's words here in 2 Thessalonians 
when he says, do not grow weary in doing good, it spoke to me as a father very strongly. Because I'll just be honest, sometimes I grow weary in doing good. Sometimes it seems like it would be easier just to go with the flow. Sometimes it would be less confrontational, right, to just, yeah, you're right. Things are different now. Sometimes it would be smoother to say, well, these are just kind of general stories, and as long as you kind of line up with these in general, then you're, you're kind of headed in the right direction. So, yeah, it gets... I grow weary. It gets hard sometimes in doing good. And so Paul's verse here and Paul's words spoke to me as a father so much so that I wanted to explore the context in which he is making these statements and then determine, right, can we pull out some nuggets for believers in general, obviously, but fathers more specifically for why we can't afford to grow weary in doing good. Now, if you will allow me just a few minutes to rehearse the context here, because it's important for us to understand kind of where we are with everything. This is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. That's why it's two Thessalonians, right? Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> he, along with Timothy and Silas, right, had established this church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. Now, when they were there, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they encountered quite a bit of heat because of what they were teaching and preaching. So they didn't get to stay there quite as long as they normally would with churches that they were starting. And they ended up bouncing out, kind of fearing for their lives under this persecution that was coming their way. Now, when they left, they left from there and went to Athens. But once in Athens, Paul says, you know what? My heart is burdened for this new church we started in Thessalonica. And so he says, Timothy, why don't you head back down to Thessalonica it maybe it's kind of cooled down just a little bit. You know, back in the day, they didn't have, like, wanted posters and pictures of folks so he could ease in. They wouldn't necessarily know it was him unless they knew him. Go in, check in on that church in Thessalonica. Uh, Silas and I are going to head to Corinth, and then you double back and, and link up with us back in Corinth and give us a report. So Timothy says, bet, I'll do that. He heads on down to Thessalonica. Paul and Silas roll out to Corinth. Right? That's what mine does. Yours doesn't say it like that? Now, mine says it. Timothy gets to the church in Thessalonica, right? And he's, he, he's observing. He's talking with the leaders. He's, chick, he's kicking it with the, the laity. He's going to some midweek Bible studies. He's checking out what they're doing in Sunday school and in morning worship. And when he comes back to... <laughs> stop, don't laugh now. When he comes back to uh, Corinth to meet up with Paul and Silas, he says, Paul, they are doing it down in Thessalonica. They are getting it in down there. What, what you taught them has taken hold, and they're running with it, right? So Paul is so excited about this, right? He says, you know what? Let me write them a letter commending them on this report that I've heard. So he sits down, and he pens 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, he says, look, I'm hearing that you guys are doing some awesome things, even under persecution, that the spirit is growing, the church is growing, you're still holding tight to the commandments that I gave you, keep doing it, right? But then he also clears up some understand or misunderstandings that they had about Christ's second coming, because there were some people who thought 
that, that he was coming back like immediately, like any day now. And then there was another group that thought, oh, man, we might have missed it. This, this, is, read, that's, this is what he's dealing with. Now, y'all thinking, but it, it, you make the Bible sound fun, y'all. No, it's, it, this is what is in there. This is not me dressing it up. This is what he's dealing with, right? So he, 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 he wants to set the record straight about Christ's second coming, but he also gives them some positives about the things that they're doing, and he sends that letter to them. Well, scholars believe that whoever and whatever group delivered that letter, when they got there, obviously they took in the surroundings of the Thessalonican church as well and then came back to Paul with another report of what's going on. And so the report that they gave him was, hey, Paul, look, they are still getting it in as far as spiritual matters, right? They're handling it. Their midweek Bible study is growing. They're baptizing folks every week. They're getting it in. They're teaching and, and growing. I'm like, but something else is happening. Something else is starting to kind of creep into the body. And it's this, this undisciplined living, this idleness, some of your translations say, this, this, this group of folks that's starting to kind of grow and and affect the, the body as a whole. So then Paul <laughs> pins the second letter to the Thessalonians. And in this letter, which is where we are today, right, he commends them for the things that they've done well, for continuing to grow under persecution, but then he has to deal with this new issue of undisciplined behavior. Now, what I want us to do, so you understand kind of how I'm working with this, Paul, the verse that, that struck me strongly is verse 13. Do not grow weary in doing good. What I wanted to see is, well, what is it that they are doing, right, that it would make him say, don't you grow weary in doing good, which could also be read, look, don't, don't grow weary in doing the right things, even though there are some among you doing the wrong things. So I want to see what are the wrong things that are being done so that I understand what is it that Paul is encouraging them to continue to do. And so what I'm going to attempt to do is walk through what this group was doing in the Thessalonican church and then pull an application to fatherhood, okay? So first, what we see is in some of your translations, as I mentioned before, instead of it saying undisciplined, you may see the word idle. And while idleness is definitely an aspect of this word in the Greek, when it's used here, it has an element of a military context. In other words, this, this word in the Greek really paints the picture of a soldier who has broken ranks, a soldier who is no longer in lockstep with the rest of the soldiers in the company, a soldier that isn't following the prescribed orders, the rules, or the guidelines, literally someone who is marching to the beat of their own drum. And in this military context, if you have soldiers that are doing their own thing, it does not take a, a, a lot of imagination to figure out that that is detrimental to the rest of the soldiers. So Paul says, look, that there are some members in this church, right, who are doing their own thing, who are being undisciplined, who are being disorderly, who are being unruly. Now, you don't have to be a great theologian or a biblical scholar to figure out that if folks are being undisciplined, then there's probably some disciplined things they should have been doing. If they're being disorderly, there's probably some orderly things they should have been doing. If they're being unruly, there's probably some rules and some guidelines that they should have been following. But if you need a little bit more proof than just kind of going off of your own, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2, Paul says this, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I bring that up just to, to, to point out that, look, 
What was given to this church in Thessalonians, these commandments, these guidelines, these uh, orderly um, uh, set of rules to follow, Paul actually had given in his first letter to the Thessalonians. So there were some commandments that he's working from. There are some set guidelines that he's working from as he addresses this behavior. So let's get this in our minds. There are some folks, some church folks now, that's what you got to also keep in mind. These are church folk. Did you, you picked up that, right? These are folks who are in the body, who weren't following the commandments that Paul, under the authority of Christ, had given them when he was with them. But there were also some folks now, right, who were obeying the commandments that Paul had left. There were some folks, right, who were being disciplined, who were living orderly, who were following the rules. And we know that because verse 11 points out when Paul says, for we hear that some among you are undisciplined. So, so in this community of believers, you have some who are trying, not perfectly though, but they're trying, right, to live and to walk in a manner that would be pleasing to God. But then you also have another group who aren't trying to be obedient, who are doing what they want, how they want to. <laughs> and this brings me to my very first takeaway. As men and as fathers, how we live our lives has far-reaching consequences in our homes and in our communities. We are the framework, get this now, we are the framework upon which our children will build their notion of God. Let me say that again. We are the framework upon which our children will build their notion of God. A child's first concept of father is established here on earth. If a child can see in her earthly father things like love, things like authority, justice that's tempered by mercy, if they can see patience and faithfulness, then it becomes easier for her to see a heavenly father in that same way. However, on the flip side, if a child sees his father um, do things like sinful, uh, respond in sinful anger, maybe lust, vengefulness, jealousy, and adultery, then there can be a barrier for that child when it comes to looking to and trusting in a heavenly father. We do not have the luxury. We do not have the luxury of being undisciplined, of being disorderly or unruly. We cannot pick and choose which of God's precepts we will and won't follow, but we must be an example, not according to the definitions of the world, not according to what we've reasoned in our own minds, but according to the word of God. Mm -hmm. Now, from Paul's letter, right? We can't tell just how pervasive this undisciplined living is, meaning that we don't know in, in what all ways it is manifesting itself. But we know that it is at least manifesting and affecting one area, and that is their work ethic. We see that, right? In the text, now, there is an, an interesting and a subtle distinction, I think, that Paul is making here about the nature of the work that's not being done. See, it would seem, when I think about this, and I think if you would think about it, you would agree with me, that Paul, who is an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul, right, who is charged with spreading the gospel, 
Paul, who has made it his life's journey and mission to establish churches who then in turn would then spread the gospel, that it, seemed, it would seem that to Paul that the utmost importance to him would be the work that's associated with that, with missions, with building the church, with spreading the gospel. Hmm. But that's not the work that Paul is talking about here. That's not the work that Paul is pointing out that these folks aren't doing. How do we know that? How do we know that? Well, look at verse 10, because Paul ties the work that he's talking about with eating. Huh. Do you see that? He says, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. In other words, in other words, this isn't ministry work that's not getting done. This isn't people not willing to teach Sunday school. This isn't people not willing to volunteer for vacation Bible school. But this is good old-fashioned, working nine to five, Dolly Parton, punching a clock, <laughs> earning a check, earning wages, work. By the sweat of their brow, work. <laughs> These folks who were living undisciplined, who were living disorderly and unruly lives, were also choosing not to work. Man, think about that. In the church, folks were saying, you know what? Don't need to work. Don't need to earn no money. <laughs> now, your mind is thinking, why would they do that? Well, scholars believe maybe a couple of reasons. One, they think is, is because, as we discussed earlier, they had some misunderstanding about Christ's return. So some of them jokers was like, they got baptized on Sunday, went to work on Monday, said, I'm quitting because Jesus is coming back and I got a mansion up in heaven. Peace, right? <laughs> I'm out, right? I hate it for y'all, right? So some, some scholars believe maybe that was going on, but other scholars say that maybe what it was is that actually, because this church in Thessalonica was Greek and that in the Greco-Roman kind of system, Working kind of labor was seen as beneath a certain social status. So I don't, we don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Mm -mm. Well, sweat, mm -mm. no. We don't, we got servants who do that, right? Now, it could have been one or the other. It could have been a blend of all of those. It could have been something else. But at the end of the day, whatever the reason was, these folks weren't working. And they were expecting others to take care of them. How do I know that? That seems like a strong statement, but if you look at verse 12, Paul says, look, we urge and we command these brothers who are doing this, right, to work quietly and eat their own bread, which implies they was eating bread that wasn't their own. Similarly today, for various reasons, uh, there are some among us, inside the church and outside the church, right, who are adverse to hard work. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, I got a job. I'm not adverse to hard work. No, this ain't about being employed. But this is about how you show up at your employer. <laughs> right? There are some who feel like things should be easy that things should just come their way, right? That, that, that they're always kind of looking for the next come up, how to make the most with the least amount of effort. These are the get-rich-fit-quick folks. 
Probably the worst example of that, and you know them. Don't say nothing. Don't look either way. Just keep looking at me. But probably one of the worst things to ever <laughs> attack, you know, human civilization is multi-level marketing. Some of y'all think, man, multi-level marketing. Yeah, these folks where you say, hey, look, you sell these things. You find three of your friends to sell these things. If they find three of their friends to sell these things, then you won't have to sell nothing because they'll be working for you. Right? But it's all in this mindset of how do I do the least amount for the most? And, and not just how do I do. It's, it's not even how do I make sure nobody is working. I don't care if you working hard. I just want to make sure I don't have to work hard. At the other end of the spectrum, though, you do have some people, right, who, <clears throat> when it comes to work, the moment that things head in the wrong direction, they're done. There's nothing like, these are the, the can't nobody tell me nothing, folks. The, 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 there's nothing like someone that you've been touching and agreeing with and praying to, for them to get a job. They get a job. It's glory, hallelujah. Then two weeks later, you find out they don't quit that job. And you're like, what happened? We, we just knew that this is what the Lord had. What happened? They was trying to tell me when to come and, and when to take my break and what time to leave. And, 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 and you know, I just they, was just, they was just trying to tell me what to do. So the people who was going to pay you to do some work was telling you how they wanted that work done. And that was just too much for you. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, right? This attitude of being averse to hard work. And this brings me to my second takeaway. And that is that men, and especially fathers, right? Hear me now. Hear me now. This is important. This is important. We are the ones who are called to work. Now, I don't want no sisters getting upset. I don't want nobody to stop taking notes. What's he talking about? Men are called to work. <laughs> Women, I'm not saying you can't work. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. Proverbs 31 gives us a wonderful portrait of a wonderfully uh, uh, engaged, enterprising, thinking, business-minded woman. So I'm not saying women can't work. I'm not saying women shouldn't work. But what I am saying is that men should better be definitely working. I did that on purpose. <laughs> oh, oh, and if you are a father then you show enough should better be definitely working. I'm trying to drive this home. I, I, I know how to talk. I'm just making a point. <laughs> but this is important. Men, men, we cannot fall into the trap of despising work. Do you see this? This is a subtle trick of the enemy. And let me, let me, let, let's talk just a little bit. It's a subtle trick of the enemy, right? That the father, who should be the head of the household, who should be the covering and the protection and the provider for those that he brings into that household, would then be infected with a disdain for work, which then means that he cannot provide the covering or the protection or the provision for the household that he has. And when children are hungry, when people are unsure about where their next meal is coming from and whether or not they'll have lights and a home and a, and a bed to lay their head in, then it's hard to then begin to instruct them in the way of the Lord. <laughs> so, man, we can't fall into the trap of despising work, right? Uh, it's also, where am I? I'm a young man. They didn't all leave, did they? What, what age left? I'm a young man. Listen, 
It is not a badge of honor to have a woman taking care of you. Some of y'all think you doing it because she's buying you stuff. She's making sure you got some front pocket money. You know what front pocket, do they say front pocket money anymore? Front pocket money is money you keep in your front pocket, right? Easy access, right? It is not a badge of honor, young men, to have a woman as your covering. You know what I call a man, a male who has a woman taking care of them? A child. Because that was the last time that a man should have had now, look, get me wrong. I'm, I'm not talking about you fell on some hard times, you done lost your job, some, you're trying to work some things out, and you, you're trying to come up with some strenuous example all the way out here that, that makes the whole word blow apart. No. Right? We're talking about as a, as a habit, as a practice, right? As your way of life, people. Right? It is not a badge of honor to have a woman taking care of you. We have to remember that work was given to us by God. When Adam was created and placed in the garden, God didn't say, now look, I want you to smell all the flowers. I want you to frolic in the lilies. I want you to run your hand through the stream. <laughs> he said, till the land, work it, keep it, right? He said, I spoke it into existence. You have to work it to maintain it, right? Now, it is without question that we were put here to work. Sin has come in and tainted all of it, right? That's why now you got coworkers that you can't get along with, although I got a good coworker back there, my good friend Roger. He's my good friend at work. But you got coworkers you can't get along with. You got bosses that don't understand you. You got assignments that don't make sense. You got companies making all kinds of crazy decisions. But that does not change the fact that God gave us work. Here's how we fit in in sin-cursed work. <laughs> we are now, as God's image bearers, charged with redeeming work to show the world what it looks like when someone whose boss is the Lord Jesus Christ clocks in every day. To show our co-workers what it's like to have a co-worker who's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our job now. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Deal with it. That's why they call it work. But we don't run from it. We embrace it. And we do whatever needs to be done, men, to take care of what God has given us charge over. <laughs> so Paul says, look, there are some among you who are undisciplined and unruly, who are refusing to follow the commands that I left with you, and as an example, <laughs> those that are capable of working are choosing not to work. Now, it's interesting because in this portion of Paul's letter, he lets the readers know that there are two resulting actions because of this group not working. One action is a passive action. That means it's, it's something that's going to happen to them. The other action is an active action which means it's something that they are going to do. <laughs> well, the first one, the passive one that's happening to them, we've already seen in verse 11, or verse 10, rather, where Paul says, if you don't work, guess what's going to happen to you? You ain't going to eat because we ain't going to give you bread no more. Right? <clears throat> but the second one, which is the action that they perform, the active 
active action, we see at the end of verse 11, when we see that the ones that are not working are acting like busybodies. Man. <laughs> now, now, when we hear busybodies in our more contemporary ears, we are likely picturing someone who is constantly on the go, right? Constantly moving here, there, and everywhere. They can't sit still, right? Always have to be doing something. But the Greek word that's used here has more of a connotation than just the energy that's being expended, but it also has to deal with the content that the energy is being expended upon. So what we see is that this, the things that these folks are spending their energy on are actually useless things, frivolous things, trifling things, needless matters, right, that they're involving themselves in. And Paul, he does this wonderful thing in this letter, right, where he creates this conflicting mental image. On one hand, right, he talks about this group of folks who on one hand are not working, right? One hand, these folks can't find the energy to expend on important things, but this same group somehow finds the energy to expend on unimportant things. Hmm. And this brings me to, not my final takeaway, but a question. In your role as a father, are there things of importance being neglected because you are expending energy on unimportant things? In your role as a father, are there things of importance being neglected because you are spending energy on unimportant things. In conclusion, in verse 13, two things in particular struck me. Uh, the first thing is, is Paul, how he starts off verse 13. But as for you, which implies that there should be a distinction, that there should be a contrast, that there should be a difference. Even though we may see this behavior around us, even though it may be happening around us, maybe even in the church, Paul says we shouldn't compromise. We shouldn't lower the expectations uh, we have for ourselves. Second thing that struck me in this verse is the admonition that he gives to not grow weary in doing good. This implies that if we were to grow weary, we just might end up in the very same place as these folks that Paul is calling out. Hmm. Lastly, I mean, let's just be real here. When you read this verse, Paul doesn't seem to leave us with a lot of hope. Yeah. He just kind of says, look, don't grow weary in doing good. And if you kind of read on, he kind of starts closing out the letter. All right, tell Pete, I said, what's up? Tell Ricky, I said, what's going on? And then he kind of closes that letter out. It's in the, read it. It's in there. I mean, Pete and Ricky ain't in there, but you know. It was a Petros and yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he, there's not a lot of hope in there. I mean, think about it, right? If, if I walked, if, if we, you know, if we was at the gym and Kenny Morgan was getting it in, mm, 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 you know, just popping it, popping it. And then all of a sudden, he hit and he was like, man, this weight it's heavy. He's Charles. Help me out. And I came by and I said, hey, Kenny Morgan, don't grow weary. 
It was. Yeah. Right? And it kind of feels like that's what Paul has kind of done with us a little bit. Right? I, you know, I was waiting for kind of like the, you know, don't grow weary, cause, or then, or, you know, or, you know, God's going to, you know, there's nothing. Right? He just kind of like, don't grow weary and tell the rest. I said, what's up? Yeah. But here's the beauty of God's word and why we have to take it in full counsel. This second letter to the Thessalonians is not the only letter that Paul wrote. He wrote many letters that are in the, uh, the canon of the gospel. One of them is the letter to the church in Galatia. And in chapter 6, verse 9, we actually find the same admonition that he's giving to the church in Thessalonica, where he says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Man, okay, Paul, I, you was there before. I get what you're saying, but there's hope in this verse. Because he says, for in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. <laughs> That's good news. That is good news. Fathers, let me talk to you. That's extremely good news. Let me tell you why it's good news. It is extremely good news because it lets me know that as a father, my job is to plant seeds. <laughs> And I, there's a lot I can learn from watching a farmer plant seeds, Pete. One is, is that I got a lot of them, bag full of seeds. I'm not going out with just one and hoping for the best. But as that farmer puts down that seed, one thing a farmer does is he doesn't put that in there. <clears throat> yeah, let, me, let me dig that up. See if there's something wrong with that seat. No, it's in, okay. Let me put that back in there. No, 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 no. As a father, I plant the seed, and then I move on. Plant another seed, and then I move on. I plant another seed, and then I move on. I'm not looking back trying to see, has fruit? No, um, my job is to plant seeds, and I'm trusting the God in heaven, the one who knows how to make seeds germinate, the one who knows the conditions under which seeds will germinate. He is the one who will give the water. He's the one who will give the light. Hmm. He's the one who will produce the harvest and the fruit. And then if I don't grow weary... And planting seeds, what Paul tells me is that one day, one day I'm going to look back. One day I'm going to look back and those seeds that I didn't think were taken, those seeds that I thought they were just discarding and weren't making any sense are going to be a beautiful <laughs> stock with fruit producing, life-giving, spirit-honoring. God pleasing fruit, and if He allows me to live long enough, I'm going to see them pick a piece and then do the same for their child and just keep, hey, keep planting the seed 
For if we do not grow weary in due season, Kenny, we will reap 